we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor Jimmy and kiddos who are able to answer that question. Um, man, it is good that our kids are a part of our worship together. Kids, don't you agree? Yes? Yes. And you online, kids, I can hear you just saying yes right there in your living rooms um, at home. So thank you for being a part, a very important part of what we do together as the First Baptist family in Lagos. If you are new, I think I know all the faces in this room, but if you're watching us today from your home and you're new with us, thank you so much for connecting with us in this way during this season. If you could just let us know that you are here with us, you can go to the fbcsa.org slash connect link right now, and you can fill that information so that we can know that you are with us, and we promise to connect with you at a later time. But thank you so much for uh, joining us in worship. And let me also remind our church family, uh, whether in this room or at home, to continue to give towards God's ministry through this church family. You can do that very easily as well. And you can go to the link that's also um, on the screen. If it's not on the screen, it's fbcsa.org slash giving, I believe. Um, or you can just go to our website and you can look. But we want to encourage you to continue to be a part of what God's doing through the ministry of this church family from here into the ends of the earth through your giving and, of course, many, many other, other ways. So we've been in a new series about the Holy Spirit. And let me just try to capture the main two themes of the work of the Holy Spirit that we just started off with a few weeks ago. Um, John the Baptist talks about Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit. And we identified two ways in which that is true. The first way is that the Holy Spirit gives us a brand new identity, tells a new story about who we are for those of us who have believed in Jesus, that he's the Son of God and died on the cross and rose from the grave, and have owned up to our own sin and have chosen to love and follow Jesus. John the Baptist says, man, if you do that, you're baptized in the Spirit of God, and he tells a new story about your life, that you are now a son and daughter of God. Another way that we are baptized in the Spirit is that uh, we are given a special gifting. We are equipped and led by the Spirit of God to join God in what He's doing in all the world. He helps us out so that we can have the right abilities and energy and gifting and purpose to do what He's asked us to do. Jesus told His disciples in John chapter 14, verse 12, Listen, when my Holy Spirit comes and you need Him to come, but you will do even greater things than I have done. Now, that is an incredibly bold statement, but he meant it precisely because of that truth, that his followers, those who believe in the Son, will be given the Holy Spirit and will be able to do even greater things than Jesus has done. Jesus' death and resurrection is the very center of what God is doing to restore all of humanity and all of our brokenness. And everything has flowed to that point and will flow out of that 
point. Jesus' aim through his death and resurrection is to recreate all of that which is broken, our sin-strapped, death-trapped lives, and even, in fact, all of creation and humanity. The life of Jesus, the cross and resurrection changed everything. So now, with faith in Jesus comes the deposit of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, Christ in us, so that we may live and love just like Jesus did more and more in our everyday life, to bear righteous fruit, to be led to do greater things, to manifest the glory of the Son. Remember last week we talked about That one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the glory of the Son. Well, we are given the Holy Spirit so that we can do the same in our very own life, in everyday life. So the greater thing that Jesus says you're going to do because I've baptized you in my spirit is Acts 1-8. Let's listen to Aiden read Acts 1-8 for us. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. Absolutely, we will be given power through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enables us to do greater things than Jesus did. That's hard to fathom, but it's absolutely true. But here's the deal. From the very beginning... God set in the heart of humanity, in fact, all of creation, a vision to fill the whole earth with his glory. That's what he did. Being created in his image, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he commissioned Adam and Eve and he said, have dominion over all the earth. From the very beginning, he set that vision in the heart of men. With Abraham, he blessed Abraham and said, listen, Through you, I will bless every nation on the planet. And through the covenant that he had with his people, he said, I want you to testify to the the world of my glory. And even when he brought them out of slavery through the Exodus and the ten plagues, he did all that so that all the nations would know the power and might of the one true God. All the nations. From the very beginning, God set in the heart of humanity that vision to fill the earth with all of his glory. So it's really no wonder that the very last thing that the disciples would hear from Jesus while he was on earth is Acts 1.8. And again, he said, You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus, in those words, God is saying to us once again, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over all of the earth. Fill my earth with my glory. Jesus has given us also no greater work than that commission in Acts 1-8, right? And it's not surprising, of course, since since that's been a part of God's plan from the very beginning, before he even created all the earth and the universe and humanity. In fact, if you remember when he recruited Peter, James, and John, what did he say? Now follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's exactly right. And this was Jesus' way of saying, listen, when you follow me, 
when you believe in me and you follow me, I will begin to reorient all of your life around a brand new kingdom purpose that will be kind of like this new filter on how you see everything that you do and all the places that you go and all the vocations that you might have. I'm going to reorient everything in your life around the greatest kingdom purpose in the universe to make fishers of men around Acts 1.8. And it doesn't matter how you're wired. It doesn't matter the vocation that you have or how you think you're particularly gifted or, or uh, where you live or if you're married or single or any of those things. God says that vision, that commission, Acts 1.8, because of the gifting of my spirit is for everybody. It's for everybody. And because that's true, there's no greater purpose for any of us than that incredible, huge kingdom purpose that we have in Acts 1.8. We glorify God when we say, yes, help me to see that kingdom purpose and how it fits in my life and all the places that I go and the things that I do and the job that I have and the relationships that I cultivate. No greater work. No greater work. You remember in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said this, the end will come when all the nations have had the opportunity to hear the good news. We have no greater work than that. We, the church, must see it through. We, the church, and that's all of us, not just the people you call to serve full-time in, Log- in Logos or the First Baptist family or any other church in the city, but all of us who are followers of Jesus. I believe that we are equipped for such a time as this. Uh, Jesus said, I will give you power through the Holy Spirit. There's, there's nothing like the church in its readiness and equippedness to do what God has asked us to do. Jesus didn't leave the church but hanging, but gave us his spirit. We have every good gift required to do greater things. I want to invite Walt Middleton up here with me. Um, so uh, this is Walt, everybody. And Monica is his wife right over there. She, you can wave, Monica. And, of course, um, y'all know Ethan. This is Ethan's father-in-law. I don't know how many of y'all knew that. And, of course, Melissa, wife and, and family here. Um, Walt is a, a very dear friend of mine, and um, he and his family uh, have a passion for seeing God fulfill Acts 1-8. And so I've asked him to kind of share with us some perspective on what is really required of us as his church to finish what he's asked us to do. And so he's going to share a little more about himself and then share with us a perspective on how to finish the task. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Danny. Let me start the timer. <clears throat> so missions, what Danny's been talking about, Acts 1-8, is really just a call to missions to reach the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of change that we're all being faced with lately, coming at us from every direction. And missions is no exception. The same change is happening in missions, and even before COVID, Missions was under pressure to look and act differently. And what I want to emphasize today is three things. And this will come through in a multiple uh, ways as I explain. But first, even though our method for missions is shifting, the first thing we have to remember is the need is the same. 
Over three billion people on the earth have not heard a viable message of who Jesus is and how his uh, life and death has changed everything. So it's our responsibility as the church to fill that need through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The second thing uh, to remember is that even though the, the need has not changed, the message also has not changed. Uh, the third thing is that the way we perform missions is changing. And the good news about that is that all of us can be involved, as Danny was hinting at, all of us should be involved. Uh, up until recently, the way the models of missions have uh, worked is most of us have sent those who go, and we stay here and do our work, sending money. Uh, the new model of missions is going to be very different, and I'll explain more about why that is so. So all of us, when we think about missions, typically come up with an image in our mind of what a missionary looks like or what missions is about. And all of that is being changed. This image of, uh, of the old uh, Westerner heading into the uh, different parts of the world to share the message of Jesus is changing dramatically. And what I want to, to emphasize today is the way it's changing is that instead of that image that we have in our heads sometimes of, of this different old style of missions, when we look in a mirror, we should see a missionary. All of us are involved in missions in some way and will be more so in the days to come. When Monica and I first went to, into missions, it was about 20 years ago, and we went to Africa, uh, East Africa, and uh, started our work uh, working as a, with an engineering group. We were building churches, uh, homes for missionaries out in, the, in remote parts of Africa. We lived with our family in a tent for most of the time, and it was a wonderful way to experience uh, Africa, but it was a very much in the way and the style of the old mission model. We were helping put Western missionaries into remote zones to reach uh, tribes of people who had never heard about Jesus. Uh, the next slide shows the picture of our family just as we arrived in Africa. And yes, that's Melissa there on the bottom right, uh, just about a year into our first uh, arrival in Africa uh, in one of our uh, places where we were living for a time. So when we first arrived, uh, the next slide shows an, an image of Africa sort of split by this dotted line. And that dotted line represents the Islamic northern part of Africa and the sub-Saharan part of Africa, which was more animistic, polytheistic. And our current mission models have really been designed much more for the animistic models of missions. And so that has consequently resulted in an effort which is really sub-Saharan Africa and in other parts of the world, non-Islamic places, which has had an actual amazing effect, but it has left a, a large portion of the world unreached uh, due to the model that we have selected for missions. Uh, as we started looking north of that line at who lives, there's almost 300 million Muslims living just north of that line in the, of the Sahara uh, from Morocco all the way down to Djibouti and Somalia. And when we started asking the question, why haven't we gone north? we began to realize that we really suffered 
uh, with the models that we were using because they weren't effective as we tried to move north. Now, when the mission agency approached Monica and I with this problem, we had a tiny, tiny bit of experience with business, and that qualified us as experts uh, in the mission world to start businesses in North Africa because that became one of the primary ways we were going to move north and live life on life. Uh, and it just represents the need. If Monica and I, with our tiny experience in business, were needed, how much more any of you with business experience or knowledge of things that could really help live life on life in North Africa or the Middle East? Um, as we look at the historical reasons for why, on the next slide, there are, uh, in the 1700s, there was about 600 million people on the earth. Of that 600 million, uh, about 26% about were considered reached. Now, when we talk about reached, it's not uh, all Christian. It means that the gospel is in the language of the local people, and the church is actually multiplying in a way that is uh, normal to the region. Uh, places that are unreached, there is no real representation of the gospel. So in the 1700s, 26% were considered reached. And 60% were this animist or um, polytheist type uh, people. And then you have Islamic groups, about 14%. So that's a strong reason for the models that were developed at the time. The bulk of the world uh, was really animist. And they accept the model that we currently use in a, in a very real way because we bring, a lot of times with this current model, we bring s schools and hospitals and uh, education, and that is a helpful thing to many of these communities. When you look across that border into the Islamic zones, they don't see that in the same light. As we come and bring schools and hospitals, that's often seen as preying on the weak, on the young, on those who can't defend their faith. And so we have to be conscious of that. We don't want to bring across the impression that that's what we're doing. We want to live life on life with people, share our faith and how God has changed us. And uh, when it comes to working in Islamic zones, there's actually much less resistance to our message than there is to our model. And that's an important thing to remember. So as uh, the 1700s gave way, the Moravians really began the model that we currently employ now, where there are senders and there are those who go. And the model over the years, the next slide shows uh, as we arrive at 2020, that there's almost 7.4 billion people now on the earth. So a, a dramatic uh, uptick in the amount of people on the earth over the last 300 years. Uh, amazingly, the model that we employed has been blessed by the Holy Spirit. Now 60% of the world is considered reached. That's something to be celebrated. The problem with that is that even though 60% is reached, the actual number totals are much uh, less exciting because back when it was the 1700s, there was only 300 million people who hadn't heard. Now, that 40% that, uh, remaining, that adds up to over 3 billion people. 3 billion people without the message of Jesus. That's a lot of people. So even though we've increased our percentage in terms of who is reached, we have a lot more actual people who still need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. So 
The question is why, why did this model, not only uh, because of the large population, but what were some other factors that led to the model that we use in missions? And the next slide shows that the, there was a Greek uh, thought that influenced the church since uh, its early days. And I don't know if you guys remember the story of Pandora's box. But in Pandora's box, there, there's this woman who's created and sent to earth. This is very similar in many ways to our, our story of Adam and Eve. But this woman is sent to earth, and she's given this box as a wedding gift. And in the box uh, are some things that she's never supposed to open and release into the world. All she's told is she's given a key, and she's told, never open this box. She was also given a very strong sense of curiosity. So Pandora stares at this box every day and can't resist. And several times she goes to it, puts the key in, and then resists the temptation. But finally she gives in, and she opens the box, and into the world floods all sorts of evils, the things we're seeing even to this very day in many parts of the world, famine, uh, pestilence, things that are very destructive, hate for one another. Uh, and one of the last things out of the box is this thing called work. Now this is very different than the biblical representation of what work is. Uh, work was a gift that God gave us. That we as, as fellow, uh, as his creation, we work together with God. Work began in the garden prior to the fall. It wasn't something that came after the fall. So work is sacred. It's part of what we do with, uh, our, in our relationship with the Lord. And it can be holy if it's done for the glory of God. The Pandora box story sees it as holy evil, as part of this pestilence. And that changed and impacted the way the world saw work in many ways. And so we've, over the years now, divided work uh, in many ways into a secular and sacred category. There's work over here that's secular, and there's work over here that's sacred, and the two don't intermix very well, even in our models of missions. And we've had a hard time integrating work uh, and secular type work into our mission models, and it makes it very difficult for us to move forward, and that needs to change, and it is changing. Um, but as we look at this 26 percent Muslim group that's remaining, that represents uh, almost two billion people. The next slide shows that if we use the old model of missions, there's actually a wall, a perimeter set up around the, the Muslim world in a way, both legal, cultural, that block the model that we currently employ because of the things I've already mentioned. And we have to think outside that box. So the next slide can show that we as we consider ways to reach into uh, our Muslim brothers' and sisters' lives, that we can actually do it if we think in terms of identity, not just as missionary, but identity as who the gifts, passions, talents that the Lord has gifted all of us with can be used in life on life in the marketplace. That's where the real change can take place, and that's where all of you uh, not just here, but throughout the world in God's church, are a part of this next phase because God has already put into his church the gifts, the talents, the passions that will allow us to live life on life in the zones that now remain unreached. So if we look at the next slide, we can see, again, this dichotomy that has uh, been part of the, 
church dynamic over the years, the three sections with sacred on one side, secular on the other, and the mitigating act of the church in the middle, that really needs to give way to the following model, which is much more from the Hebrew view of the world, where God, the church, and the world interact in a way that there's a sweet spot in the middle where all of us, with our gifts and talents, can be involved in holy work that's powerful if used for the kingdom of God. So, what will missions look like in the future? My hope is it will look a lot more like you. It will look less like this with a Westerner gathering with a, a group of uh, developing uh, nations and teaching. It'll look more like this, where we are involved in day-to-day -day living with people on the ground. Less like this, again, a Westerner involved in teaching with uh, a local people, and more like this. This is a, a CrossFit box that we've actually opened in Africa, and we're looking to open them across uh, the world because of the method of using business, not just CrossFit, but uh, other gyms, uh, businesses, that can be one-on-one -on -one engagement with people. It's a very natural way to engage life on life. And all of us have that gift, that, that ability to contribute, not just money, but with our passions. And that's where it really gets exciting, that all of us get to be involved. So the final slide is really just the, uh, the message from 1 Corinthians 12, that there are different types of gifts, and all of us have these different gifts, these different passions, but there's one spirit that unites all of these gifts in us and allows us to be effective as we look for new ways to engage. The mission world has to change. Uh, there is no way we can continue with the model that we currently employ. COVID has even uh, exposed deeper weaknesses within the mission model. And so we are needing to really challenge ourselves. And that means that all of you get to be a part of what's happening next. And I look forward to seeing what that will look like. The amazing thing is it won't just be us from the West going anymore. The fastest growing church in the world is actually in Africa right now. And uh, within the next 20 years, the largest group of evangelical believers will be in Africa. The, the missions movement of the future will probably look a lot more African. How do we partner with that movement? How do we become uh, uh, partners who work side by side with our African brothers and sisters in ways that we haven't thought of yet. It'll probably be more with business. It'll probably be more with things that we haven't thought of even yet. So I encourage you to think of the ways God has already gifted you and, and put passions in your heart and use those passions to further the kingdom of God through missions. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.